When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, are you ready for some money rehab? Wall Street has been completely upended by an unlikely player, GameStop. And should I have a 401k? You don't do it? No, I know. Girl! You think the whole world revolves around you and your money? Well, it doesn't. Charge for wasting our time. I will take a check. Like a old school You recognize her from anchoring on CNN, CNBC, and Bloomberg. The only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. The cold lapin. Is the current political landscape driving you so crazy that you want to run for office? If so, you need to know what you're getting into. That's why today I'm talking to Alexandra Hunt, who ran to be the Democratic nominee for a congressional seat in Pennsylvania this year and caught national attention for her buzzy elect hose campaign merch. Of course, some traditional voters couldn't get past her edgy slogans, but if they could, they would see a thoughtful platform with plans to make healthcare more accessible and equitable for Pennsylvanians. In May 2022, the incumbent Dwight Evans secured the slot as the Democratic nominee for the congressional seat Alexandra was running for. This loss, though, begs the question. How much do campaign finances actually contribute to the outcome of elections? Let's ask Alexandra. Well, Alexandra, welcome to Money Rehab. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. You are fresh off a run for congressional seat in Pennsylvania. I'd like to start with the political issues that were central to your platform, specifically health care. Uh, you've written a lot about how you've seen what it's like to try and survive without adequate health care. And I'm coming off a night in the ER with my fiance. So I've seen that up close and personal um, most recently. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? So I've done a lot of work in healthcare. I've worked specifically in oncology or cancer. And what a lot of people don't realize is how little our insurance actually, like, even if you have insurance, um, how little it actually covers, especially if you have a, a chronic illness. We also have in Philadelphia in PA3 where I ran, we have uh, healthcare deserts or where we had a hospital close. And that really hurt our community because you have people who are dying on the way to the hospital who could live if we weren't having for-profit hospitals closed uh, in an area. And then on top of that, you have people who die or suffer at home because they don't want to pay for the ambulance ride to get the care that they need. Um, and so they're not seeking that care or they're going undiagnosed for an extended period of time to the point where intervention is too late to save their life. I would be remiss to not ask you about uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, we can't talk about health care, I suppose, without talking about reproductive health care. What's been your response to the court's decision? Um, it's definitely hurt more than 
I was anticipating. I mean, we, we knew it was coming. And then the, the day that they did overturn that decision, it was still a lot of grief. And I, I had an abortion when I was 18. I'm also a survivor and I know what it's like to lose the choice over your body and to feel helpless in that manner. And having an abortion, even with it being legal and making the best possible choice that I could for myself, it was still stigmatized and that made it very lonely and isolating. And now with uh, the, the Supreme Court's decision, it's going to be even more isolating, even more lonely, and that's going to lead to more harm for young, young women or young pregnant people. I mean, they don't have to be young, but pregnant people seeking abortions. Yeah. I mean, something we have in common is the fact that we've both spoken out about this hard, uh, but ultimately responsible decision to have an abortion. I did uh, an episode about that um, in the wake of everything in Texas a few months ago. Uh, if you feel comfortable, can you tell us a little bit more about why you think that was the right decision for you? Oh, yeah. I was 18 and I was in my first semester of college. I had no money. I, I was um, barely an adult and I was on birth control and found out that I was pregnant. I did have a partner at the time that turned into a long, long-term partner, but we had just started dating. And as much as I want children in my future, it was not the right timing. I would not have, I probably would have had to drop out of college and simply focus on providing for myself and a baby. And it would have changed my, my life completely. It, it, by having an abortion, I was able to complete college. I went on to get two more master's degrees and I ran for Congress. So it, that, that just, that trajectory wouldn't have come with, with me at 28 running for Congress with two degrees, two master's degrees under my belt um, if I had had a baby at 18. I mean, not only did Fox News harp on your abortion story, but they also focused a lot of attention toward the time in college where you worked many jobs as a stripper, one of them, to put yourself through school. And as you mentioned, get master's degrees, ultimately run for Congress at 28. How much do you think that negative press coverage affected your campaign? I, I mean, people who worked on our campaign said that they've never seen such horrendous attacks for a candidate. I mean, I, I'm an everyday person. And before this, people didn't know who I was. And it it just brought in so much hate and so much just anger uh, towards the fact that I was openly sharing that and, and a lot of stigma. Um, the things that were sent to our campaign were really gross. The threats, there were a lot of threats made. Um, and yeah, it, but on the other hand, it did draw in other attention and a lot of people decided to share their own story and their own experience working as a stripper or in the porn industry in college and also the stigma that they faced because of that. And so it, it did help build a movement of people who care about each other and who care about destigmatizing this work. Um, but it also, with, with every movement, there's a counter movement. With every revolution, there's a counter revolution. And so yeah. you got bo the, both ends of the stick. 
Yeah, with a reaction, there's a reaction. And it sounds like, I mean, I'm not putting words in your mouth. You tell me, did it balance out? Did some of that vitriol balance out with the women working hard to make ends meet and putting themselves through college? Or did it hurt more than you expected? I mean, I think a lot of people look at politicians or political hopefuls and say that you can dissociate from that. But were you able to? Yeah, you kind of go numb to it. The first time hearing the remarks, it's hard. And for me, the thing that hurt the most was I was pushed out of my coaching job and that I was told that basically I wasn't a good role model for the young girls that I was coaching. And that's something that's important to me is being a good role model for my players. So that really hurt. Um, and once they had done like the worst thing that they could, uh, and that I felt would hurt the most, the, the rest of it, it, I was kind I was pretty numb uh, at that point. And there there wasn't other things that they could take from me. Hold on to your wallets, boys and girls. Money Rehab will be right back. Do you ever get FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, do you ever get FOMO Tupita, fear of missing out on the perfect hire? If so, I have the antidote. It's LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites, and that adds up to a serious squad of awesome candidates. LinkedIn has over a billion professionals on the platform, and these candidates are super qualified. So much so that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. I work with LinkedIn Jobs for all of my dream team needs, so they're hooking up money rehabbers at linkedin.com slash MNN. Go there and you can post your job for free. That's linkedin.com slash MNN, as in Money News Network, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Money rehabbers, you have money hidden in your house. Yeah, just hiding there in plain sight. Okay, so I don't mean you have gold bars hidden somewhere in walls, treasure map style, but you do have a money-making opportunity that you're just leaving on the table if you're not hosting on Airbnb. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. By hosting your space, you are monetizing what you already own. It doesn't get easier than that. For me, hosting on Airbnb has always been a no-brainer. When I first signed up, I remember thinking to myself, self, you pay a lot of money for your house. It is time that house returned the favor. And to get real with you for a sec, I felt so much guilt before treating myself on vacation because traveling can be so expensive. But since hosting on Airbnb, I feel zero stress for treating myself to a much needed vacation because having Airbnb guests stay at my house when I'm traveling helps offset the cost of my travel. So it's such a win-win. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now for some more money rehab. So we are money rehab. We love to follow the money trail of all stories. Uh, How much can a congressional campaign cost? Teach us. Well, it depends. Are you a grassroots campaign or are you taking money from, are you taking dark money from corporations? Uh, If if so, or are you rich, (laughs) then... So those are the three options. Grassroots, rich, (laughs) campaign, corporate dark money as you call it okay um and so dark money rich people their campaigns cost millions of dollars for grassroots if you raise half a million if you raise 300 400 thousand dollars that you're doing pretty well 
Um, we raised, oh, I don't know the exact amount, but somewhere between 700 to 800,000. And uh, that made us a really big threat. And where did that money come from? Grassroots fundraising. It was all individual donors. Um, and then towards the end, I did a little bit of self-funding through my own small business called OnlyFans. And how much did you contribute? I think it ended up being $35,000. And where does the money go? Like, can you tell us some of the biggest expenses of running a campaign? So mailers are really expensive. In my district, in PA3, it's very politically active. And a lot of people come out and vote, even though it's a it's a small percentage of the registered Democrats, which is another issue that we can talk about, voter apathy. But PA3 is still very politically active. So we had a high win number. And with a high win number, you have to contact a lot of people. And so mailers are very expensive. Um, I had a very big staff, which uh, for most first time candidates, congressional campaigns, they don't have that big a staff. There's the infrastructure of your, your fundraising program that you have to pay for. Staff's expensive. Mailers are expensive. Uh, literature is expensive. Election day was very expensive. Um, that, and then we had an office, had to pay rent. We had a lot of snacks for people and, and things like that. And it, that, that's, it goes into reaching people and texting people and calling people and trying to get voters to come vote for you. Name recognition. You said it, election day was really expensive. Why specifically election day? Uh, we, we tried to staff it as much as possible. So we got everyone lunch and we had people out at different polling locations with our palm cards and handing things out to voters. So we tried to have a really big presence on election day and we were very successful in that regard. Um, because we, we lost, but it was really the vote by mail that hurt us the most. Why was that? So we ran against an incumbent and in when that happens, the machine backs the incumbent and sends home a lot of voter guides and voter guides kind of give a who to vote for, for what seat. And we were not being mentioned in the voter guides. And so when you sit down at your kitchen table to vote by mail, you pull up your voter guide that you got from the Democratic Party and you usually vote if you're if you're just a regular you know moderate democrat you you just check off whatever they've suggested to you and that's where it hurt us yeah because sometimes you don't know like who's running for comptroller or whatever um that makes sense how, over how long was that money spent so 700 grand over a year before the campaign or how much leading up to election day it was a year and three months. Are you going to try again? I'm thinking about it. What do you think the most challenging part of the campaign was? Fundraising? For me, the most difficult part was the evolution of being Alexandra Hunt's, you know, an everyday person who loves soccer and public health and is passionate about community care to being the candidate, the former stripper, and having that sort of recognition and, and, but losing people along that journey that I didn't anticipate losing and then kind of just adjusting to 
to all of that as, as a everyday person was probably the hardest part for me. What's the part that you're most proud of from the campaign? What our mission was, was to pull people in from the shadows, people who have been marginalized and stigmatized for whatever reason uh, that they might face in their life and that they could help empower them, that they could have a voice, that they need to get involved and that there are people like them or who can relate to them who are ready to fight with them. And I think that I'm super proud that we were able to pull in that group of people who are pretty disenfranchised and make them hopeful. If someone's listening to this and they have aspirations for running for Congress, whether they're in their 20s or otherwise, what advice would you give them? (laughs) Pick a different, (laughs) choose a different job. Um, I would say toughen up, get Get your go go find your thick skin um, because it, it's hard and it really sucks the the life out of you. Um, make sure that you have folks around you who are going to support you, but who who know you and can kind of keep you on track when when the going gets tough. Um, don't underestimate how hard it is to to fundraise because it's really 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 hard um, and good for you for for putting yourself out there like that it it's it's hard to run and it's hard to stay on the campaign trail and what i learned on this campaign trail was i i saw other candidates dropping out um because they couldn't take the stress and so it it's hard if you do decide to do it know that it's hard and be try to be as mentally prepared as possible and and the first part of the advice you gave, you said, you know, get thick skin. Uh, if somebody is going through this and there's, you know, a skeleton that comes up or, or something from their past, would you advise to own it? Just fully embrace who you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lean into it. Um, own it. Just the shame is used against us and it's used to oppress us it's used to silence us it's used to push us into the shadows and so if you can take a breath and push that shame to the side and be like yep I you know whatever it was that that is part of my story I think it it really makes you stronger um and also have like a gatekeeper to filter out those nasty comments so you don't have to be exposed to them all the time. Like a campaign person. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see if you uh, go after this seat again, it sounds like. But what else is next for you? So I can't, as I said, I've worked a lot in oncology. So I'm looking to get back into that area. Um, I still have my OnlyFans and I am running an interesting... OnlyFans page. Tell me more. Well, I'm I'm trying to see how I can use OnlyFans to kind of be like a a lobbying base where I I draw in people. So I recently pulled my OnlyFans and how do they like to get involved? How do they like to be active? And their their biggest choice was donating. So I've been using my OnlyFans to fundraise for different causes. There's uh, a striking group of strippers out in LA 
who are trying to unionize. And so we fundraise for them a bit and raise a couple of thousand dollars for them. And then now we're raising for abortion funds. And I'm, it's just, it, it's kind of uncharted territory of if you can draw in people through OnlyFans and then potentially make them politically active to kind of lobby about what you care about and have the, the finances to be able to do that. Interesting. Yeah, we did a whole episode on the finances of OnlyFans, and I think it's a fascinating platform. It sounds like the donation is kind of like off use, or I don't know what you would say, um, of what is traditionally uh, available on the platform. So are you how, how are you navigating within the functionality of what OnlyFans allows people to do? On your page, you can specifically do a fundraiser. And so I'll I'll put um, a fundraiser for a certain amount and then people can donate to your campaign. Um, or I'll, I'll post like on my, my main page that the, the PPV, the pay-per-view is going to be towards this uh, fund or what, whatever we're fundraising for. But typically the fundraisers are used to like, you know, I need to pay for a house or whatever. You're kind of innovating and using this for actual fundraising campaign fundraising i'm assuming you're the only one doing that yeah i i I think i might be the only one doing that but i'm also using it to support myself because i haven't currently gotten a new job yet so it's doing a little bit of both it's a hybrid for today's tip, you can take straight to the bank. If you don't have the bandwidth for a whole political campaign or the extra cash to donate, don't count yourself out. You can still make a difference. One of my key takeaways from my conversation with Alexandra was how important fundraising is and how vital it is to have volunteers to help in that effort. As we creep closer to a key election year, keep in mind that investing your time in your preferred candidate can have a huge ROI. is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Our producers are Morgan Lavoie and Mike Coscarelli. Executive producers are Nikki Etor and Will Pearson. Our mascots are Penny and Mimsy. Huge thanks to OG Money Rehab team Michelle Lands for her development work, Catherine Law for her production and writing magic, and Brandon Dickert for his editing, engineering, and sound design. And as always, thanks to you for finally investing in yourself so that you can get it together and get it all. You spend my money.